and welcome to Fraud uh, Busting Neo Frauds podcast. It is the only podcast for female fraud professionals and their allies who want to stay on top of the fraud awareness spectrum in order to thrive professionally while maximizing their happiness and having the courage to create the life they love. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Fraud Busting New Frauds podcast. I'm Olga. I'll be your host today. Uh, today, we have a special guest uh, for the episode. This is Therese Ade, and she'll be sharing with us an interesting topic. But we've, before we do that, I'd like to give her uh, the floor for a few words to introduce herself to the audience. Hi, Therese, hello. Hello, Olga. Thank you for inviting me. I just wanted to start by saying that I am a CFE and I want to give a shout out to the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. It is a wonderful community who teach and learn each other and um, are very supportive. So who am I? I'm a very curious person, and um, this probably motivates a lot of what I do. I also want to say that in my career, there have been moments of serendipity. And by that, I mean that an, an occasion or an opportunity arises, and it doesn't present itself as a really big deal it's really just a small way to be kind to someone or to help someone. And then that forms a connection. And later on in life, these turn out to be very important connections that you have. And this has happened to me twice. I'm very grateful for that. Very special people came into my life sort of through a side door. Also, I wanna say that I'm a lifelong learner and so being a member of ACFE helps me. I really enjoy the annual conferences and I'm busy working on my CAMS certification for money laundering because fraud and money laundering frequently go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So that's me. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thank you so much for this introduction. I'm sure the audiences will enjoy uh, learning uh, a little bit uh, more about you and who you are and the interests uh, you have. Um, with that, I'd like to move to uh, my next question for you that I am uh, really excited about and can't wait to to hear out your, your response. And so that is um, what uh, interesting um story um could you share uh with the audience today um related to uh your experience working in general aviation sure thing olga um so here in america i worked for about 28 years in the general aviation industry and that is basically small private planes it excludes military and it excludes commercial aviation. Um, the business model of an auto, of a aviation dealership is very similar to an auto dealership. Mm -hmm. And 
I understand that having experience with floor plan financing is a pretty large component of understanding what's happening with auto dealerships. And the same is true with aviation. The amount of paperwork required to transfer ownership of a $4 million plane is basically one page. It's a bill of sale that is lodged with the FAA. And if you've purchased anything in real estate, the sale transaction is normally something like 50 pages yeah. by comparison. But the important thing about aviation is it's in a way similar to the medical industry or the nuclear industry. They're selling a product which is potentially lethal. And that makes the integrity of employees of the utmost importance hmm. because you can't cut corners. You have to do things and these industries are regulated. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be in a rules-based environment. Um, there is also in the general aviation, there's a culture around selling because it's competitive and the dealerships want to be prominent the culture around selling is it brings its own complications. Um, success brings a form of hubris and there's a decay of the corporate culture that goes with the hubris around successful selling. And successful selling is not always a matter of speaking the truth. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, in my career, I had a defining moment in 2001 where the company that I was working for had a consultant who was extremely valuable to us and had done a fabulous job for us on the project that we were working. And it came to the end of the project and the company wanted to cheat him out of what he was um entitled to mm -hmm. and in fact he should have gotten more we never paid him enough mm -hmm. but I spoke up publicly and it's it was a moment of great difficulty to go against the flow and to say uh, no that's wrong we're actually going to do it this way mm -hmm. and so we did pay him correctly and I'm very grateful for that but it's definitely changed the trajectory of my employment at that company also, round about 2008, uh, in the wake of the financial crisis, a lot of orders were withdrawn. Um, the customers order their planes about a year before they take delivery. You don't just walk into a showroom and buy a plane. You have to order them in advance. And so we had a lot of confirmed orders with deposits. And then after 2008, a lot of those orders were canceled. One of the decisions that I made, which turned out to suit us quite well, was we reframed the organization from being a sales organization to being service oriented. Mm -hmm. And that helped take the focus off of sales. And eventually we got through the 2008 um, roughness. Only one person was let go and that was because of performance. You know, people didn't need to be laid off. Mm -hmm. the, the customers that come to buy private planes 
they are motivated by two factors mostly, which is it's high tech. There's a lot of very sophisticated avionics equipment. And there's also the nostalgia of those magnificent men in their flying machines. And people think of the courage of original aviators. So it's those two things. But for businessmen who buy a private plane, generally, the expense cannot be justified by the business. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are always exceptions. And there were doctors that had clinics in different cities. And so they would use that to commute from one of their clinics to the other. And it saved them a lot of time, especially in less well-served areas. They didn't have to wait in line at the um, airline counter and go through TSA and you know all the delays. They could just commute and get to their clinic. Um, I encountered a situation that was complicated and it involved some payments to a employee of a foreign company, which could be a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. There was not enough information available to actually prosecute it. But the one thing that came out was that the general counsel was complicit because I noticed these payments and I had reached out to the attorney to ask, I'd like your perspective on this. Uh And I got a very watered down um, sort of excuse instead of coming right out and saying that that should be prohibited. So I just wanted to say that in organizations where there is uh, shenanigans going on, Mm-hmm. They they are going to be occasionally supported by their attorneys, so that's something to to keep a watch out for. Parts of the occurrences that occurred was things like upcoding, and that happens in the medical profession, mm-hmm. where they use a more expensive billing code for a procedure or a product that is essentially the same but available at a lower price. So that that happened. Um, There were also situations in the aviation industry, some of the components are really expensive. So they have what's known as a core, which is the same as um, us like consumers. We our battery in our car has a core. So you go and buy a new battery and they give you a certain dollar amount in exchange for your old battery. Well, the same thing happens in aviation and those cores are extremely expensive. There was an occasion when um, an owner had had a hard landing. Uh, he, he, He was a dog lover and he had his dog in the cockpit. And as he came in to land, the dog nosed his elbow, which made him push the throttles. And so he had a very hard landing and three of the landing gear actuators had to be replaced. And those cores were extremely expensive. And the original equipment manufacturer did not have a a efficient way of tracking the whereabouts of the cores. And it did result in a a considerable uh, loss to the OEM. 
There is another aspect of aviation which is slightly different um, and I do have a insurance license for property and casualty and I practiced aviation insurance for a number of years. Mm-hmm. In, in America, the policies are done on an agreed value basis. So I think the way that auto insurance works is that there's a blue book and the, the broker tells you, well, your Honda Accord is worth so much and that's how much we're going to insure it for. Mm-hmm. But with aviation, the owner decides what they want to insure the hull for. And the hull is the uh, it's the physical structure. Mm-hmm. So as long as the owner is prepared to pay the premium and also as long as underwriting approves the risk associated with that plane, then you can have an agreed value on your plane. You can have an agreed value considerably higher than market value. The insurance, the underwriting criteria for aircraft, especially in general aviation, generally turns on the experience of the pilot. And it also turns on the make and model of the aircraft. So if the aircraft, let's say that the FAA has issued airworthiness directives, which are mandatory service items on a particular make and model, the number of airworthiness directives and the experience of the pilot, those things are a significant part of the underwriting consideration. Mm-hmm. So getting back to careers, My experience is that a career is a little bit like an online role-playing game. Mm -hmm. We've seen the younger generation playing those games. They get valuable tokens and then they go to the next level of the game. And those tokens that they take with them help them in the next level. Mm -hmm. And so that's my theory of careers, which is nothing is ever wasted. We collect skills along the way. We might switch industries, but those skills are always the basic building blocks and they help us wherever our career goes. Um, And then that's it actually for that section. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, this uh, informative uh, response to my question, Uh, but I especially love uh, the way how you phrased you know, the career and, and the tokens that never get wasted. I, I love the way how you put it. And I'm sure the audience will enjoy listening to this episode. Um, and also, uh, of course, learning a little bit more about your experience in aviation and also the structure and the way how it all works. Uh, I am especially grateful for you sharing this information uh, today. Uh, And um, I also would like to ask you a last uh, additional question, which is what kind of advice could you provide uh, to women, uh, but also people in general out there uh, in order for them to uh, remain resilient no matter the difficult situations they may be facing at work and in life in general? Sure, Olga. 
you know, I don't think I'm equipped to give advice, but I'm happy to share the kinds of things that I did. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that comes to mind is that there are bumps in the road. There are little things that happen. That's not so important to me. But if it is an ethical issue, I will fight it to the death. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing we really have is our reputation and our integrity. Yeah. But other things like office politics is not has not been a thing in, in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier on, I had a wonderful mentor um, when I was working at a bank in Johannesburg. It was actually an American bank. Uh-huh. I had an, a senior VP who I would go and ask uh, if I had questions, I would go and ask, and that was that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. He was a gentleman by the name of Alec McClemon, and I always appreciated his role in my advancement. Mm-hmm. The other thing was that I didn't really make a big deal about me being a, a female, in, and it was a male environment. I think that the more people make a thing about it, it can become grounds for resentment. Mm -hmm. So I just kept my nose down and tried to work my hardest. And I was uh, promoted. I was the bank where I worked. uh, I was the second most senior level that a woman had ever got to in that bank. And that was just by not not being reactive to gender issues mm-hmm. so that was just how I did it mm-hmm. uh, wow that's uh, that's very interesting and thanks so much for sharing I enjoyed uh, you know listening to your responses and um, the experiences that you shared uh, I'm sure the audience will have a great time uh, listening to today's episode uh, thanks so much for being our special guest today Thursday and uh, Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay healthy and happy.